Hey folks, Jeff here. Here's a short excerpt from a Daily Evolver interview I did with Ken Wilbur earlier this year. I had a chance to ask Ken about an issue I often ponder. Why is life so painful? Christianity says it's because of humanity's sinful nature. Buddhists say that suffering is simply the flavor of existence. But what does evolutionary theory say? I loved Ken's answer. He said that while pain may be inevitable, suffering is optional. He explains in this 13-minute excerpt. I hope you're having a great holiday. The Daily Evolver Live podcast will resume January 6th. See you then. This is maybe overexpanding our conversation here a little bit, but good Lord, Ken, would we look at the nature of emergence since the Big Bang and certainly in the last half a million years and uh, yeah. in all of humanity, yeah. God, there's so much suffering and yeah. dog-eat-dog. And you realize, I mean, even using developmental theory, putting heads on spikes is actually progress over people who didn't know how to put heads on spikes. I know. So, you know <laughs> cut I off, know. you know, I mean, What's the nature of God, if you will, or what's the nature of the intelligence? I'm trying to figure out how to relate to the intelligence behind evolution and emergence, looking at the biggest picture that includes so much pain. And, you know, I know this has been beflummoxing philosophers for centuries, but what do you have to say about it? Well, one of the simplest ways to go at something like this is to simply look at what's the actual nature of moment-to-moment experience such that the world can actually manifest and exist. I mean, what has to actually happen from moment-to-moment in order for existence to occur at all? That's a classic philosophical kind of thing to ask. One of my favorite, and, and I, I incorporate this as part of my own response, is Whitehead's view about this. Mm-hmm. And for Whitehead, each moment came to be, each drop of experience, each moment came to be and was a subject of experience. Mm-hmm. And that subject felt the previous moment, or what he called mm-hmm. prehended. Mm-hmm. So this subject comes into being, it prehends the previous subject, now that makes that an object. Mm-hmm. So the present subject prehends the previous subject, which now becomes an object, but of course it's, it's included in, as, as part of the present subject as well, because if, if you embrace something, feel something, put your arms around it, so then it, that's affecting you. That, that's having an impact on you. So that was the causal part of the past. That's how the past had some impact on the present, how the past to some extent determines the present, because each present is prehending or feeling or incorporating or including the previous moment. And so, of course, it's going to impact it or make some sort of influence on it. But then each present moment, after prehending the previous moment, it then adds its own bit of novelty, its own creativity. And novelty means that, fresh, new, something that never existed before. So that just means out of this creative well, out of this vast eros, a little bit of newness comes into being and is part of that present moment. 
Now, why I said that if, if the novelty part is really, really, really low, then it'll look like strict causality because very little new gets, gets added moment to moment. So if you watch atoms interacting with each other and they're banging into each other, it looks pretty strict causality. Mm-hmm. But the universe went from a point where there was just nothing but atoms banging into each other until at one point those atoms grew together and jumped into becoming molecules. Something very new. So there was some novelty that was accumulating at that atomic level, or it'd never be able to jump into molecules. So now we've got molecules. They're all kind of banging into each other and not adding a great deal of novelty. So it sort of still looks a little bit deterministic. Until at one point, millions of years later, a whole group of very complex molecules were in the same vicinity, and a cell wall dropped around them, and you get a living cell, which is staggering. Oh, my God. Leap. Unbelievable. So now, cells, they don't look so deterministic because they're starting to show their own reactions. And so any physicist can, can tell you where Jupiter will be 500 years from now, but no biologist will tell you where a yeast cell will be two minutes from now. <laughs> it's just it, 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 little degrees of freedom are getting yeah. added as this thing goes up. But each of these is transcending and including its predecessor. And so that's what has to happen, is that in order for this moment to come into being, it has to feel the previous moment. Yeah. But then in, in, in order for, for any creativity to happen at all, then it has to add a little bit of novelty. Now, I think that happens in all four quadrants. But mm-hmm. what that does mean, and we say, therefore, each moment is transcend and include, transcends and includes. And that means the subject of each moment becomes the object of the subject of the next moment. We hear Keegan say in human development that the best way to summarize human development that I know is that the subject of one stage becomes the object of the subject of the next stage. It's still going on. They're still transcending and including. And there's not a single hole on that's been produced going all the way back to the Big Bang that isn't still in existence today. Because wow. it's still getting included. Yeah. So uh, quarks are still here. Atoms are still here. Molecules are still here. Cells are still here. Human beings have every one of those in them. We transcend and include. We have atoms in us. We have quarks in us. We have cells in us. All of that. We transcend and include every single stage of evolution that has ever come into existence in 14 billion years. You look at the whole 14 billion years as a one-year calendar, then human beings are like in, in the last day, in the, in the last hour, in the last few minutes. Yeah. Be- because we had to transcend and include everything that came before. Yeah. The problem part is that then we get into humans and they're transcending and including, transcending and including. It means that as our own history gets thicker and thicker and thicker, there are more and more levels to us. There are also, therefore, more and more things that can break down, more and more things that can go wrong. Right now, for a human being to get to a green level of development, there are at least six or seven major levels stages that they have to go through to get there. And something can go pathological at every one of those stages. 
Mm-hmm. That means human beings have at least six or seven ways to get really psychologically fucked up. Yeah. You go back to tribes. The person was born infrared, and to become an adult, they just had to make it to magic. There was only one way you could get screwed up in tribal times. <laughs> we can get sick in ways that tribes couldn't even imagine, yeah. and we do. Yeah. And so it's it's it, what happens with this whole complexity is this extraordinary mixture of high and low that gets thrown together, and that's what makes existence so absolutely weird for us. It's what we were saying earlier about Auschwitz, about tribal mentality with modern artifacts. What is that but an indication of that extraordinary mixture of high and low? And everybody is still born at square one, which means that even if we get to supermind in the future, all that really means there'll be 12 ways to get totally fucked. <laughs> Does the suffering <laughs> never end, Ken? I mean, not like that. Not, all, not all, with, of those, all of those things that can go wrong in, involve, you know, exquisite suffering. It certainly does. The Buddhist Three Noble Truths, I mean, the mark of existence is dukkha. And what yeah, that really means is separate self existence. So if you can get into a state where you're no longer a separate subject confronting a world of other or object, mm-hmm. then you are transcending the suffering, not not necessarily pain. Pain can still arise, right. but you're no longer identified with it, so it doesn't turn into suffering. So there, there are ways out of suffering, and they involve these transformations of consciousness into broader and deeper and higher and wider states of consciousness that eventually transcend and include the entire universe, a supreme identity with everything that's arising moment to moment. And wow. in that state, there's no suffering. But there's plenty of pain, and there's yeah. plenty of, of things that are generating suffering in masses of human beings that aren't awakened to their supreme identity. And right. that's almost always, apparently, going to be the case, because they're always born at square one, the Upanishads say, wherever there is other, there is fear. And it's one of the first things humans learn to do is differentiate self and other. And as soon as they do that, welcome to fear. And yeah. they're stuck with it as long as self versus other is real. So one can meet one's demise like Joan of Arc or a gazelle in the jaws of a lion where yeah. it's actually an ecstatic experience. Absolutely. We saw monks in Vietnam setting themselves on fire and not flinching. Isn't that something? No. Yeah, no. So those are possible, and that that's, that is worth remembering. Well, I think we need to rethink suffering because it... it <laughs> um, and death, because it's so it's so sticky and so this ought not be, and it yeah, clearly is, and it's clearly okay with God. So it has uh, to so be I okay with the, us. Yeah, I know. There's a book that is in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and well, actually, there are two books by this one writer. One was called "Who Is This God Person Anyway." <laughs> and the other was 53 more of God's biggest mistakes. And I always love that title because I can think of 53 right now. Me too. Um, 
you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just I mean, if this, if, if this is God, I mean, I'm not sure I want to uh, yeah, be part I know. of this. <laughs> I know. Well, that's what all these theodicies, there was a whole, you know, um, philosophical fashion of coming up with a theodicy, which was trying to show how, why, that this was not the best of all worlds, but the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> so that if you want to have, you know, sensitivity to stuff and be sensitive to pleasure, then you're going to also have to be sensitive to pain. Uh, it really doesn't make any sense to have one of those without the other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all of these opposites come into being, and we try to gather all the positive opposites you know, all the pleasure and all the good and all the joy and all the love and none of the fear, none of the hate, none of the pain. Of that. But that's like wanting a world with all ups and no downs and all lefts and no rights and all, all ins and no outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, just, it, it doesn't work like that. If you want any yeah. of those positives, you've got to take those negatives uh, with them or you just, you're not going to get a manifestation. You're not going to get a, a yin and a yang up and running. So yeah. you, you can't really get anything manifest. And well, just, I just want to say that I wish that it could. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's, I know, I know. It's, it's sort <laughs> I of, wish uh, we could have the ups and not the downs. And, uh, exactly. And uh, it's exactly people wanting that that you know, makes them continue to invent things that make things a little bit better. So that's, yeah. that's all good. Yeah. But also to just embrace the negative, embrace death, I mean, embrace the sort of uh, transitory nature of this existence, and even to see the ecstasy and suffering, I think is a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge for me. It's what I'm, one of the things I'm working on. And, right. um, you know, God bless us all. Indeed, indeed. It's a a strange and wonderful world. 